Welcome all to the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. This is our 11th episode, and it will be much different than all of the others we've done. It will be a full hour long, and it will be devoted to a single subject, to one man. The NFL, the Miami Dolphins, the city of Miami, all of South Florida, and a multitude of fans who held him dear lost a great man last week when Donald Francis Shula passed away peacefully at home at age 90. This is going to be a tribute to Shula, an unabashed audio love letter. We'll have a few smiles and laughs along the way, but also not be afraid to show emotion. This is for Dolphins fans of a certain age who lived the glory days and grew up with the great coach as a timeline of their lives. I did. I was a pimply-faced 15-year-old kid when Shula arrived in Miami and a married father of two when he retired. Along the way, growing up, the love for the Dolphins my father and I shared brought us closer together. But just as much, I want this to be a tribute aimed at younger fans to whom Don Shula is just some distant name not relevant to them. Boys and girls, there was a time in America and in football before ESPN Sports Center and before Twitter and Instagram. There was a time in Miami before the Heat and the Marlins and the Panthers, before Kane's football got good, before Dan Marino arrived. In this time, long, long ago, hard as it is to believe, the Miami Dolphins reigned. They were the best back-to-back -back champions, a five-year run like none other, with the only perfect season still, still, in the 101-year history of the game. Don Shula did all of that. He made Miami matter nationally, and we shall honor that today. We're going to share a conversation with his eldest son, Dave Shula, who will tell you about the man as much as the coach and share intimate details of his dad near the very end. We'll speak with two of Shula's greatest championship-era players, Hall of Famers Larry Zonka and Larry Little. We'll speak about Shula with Miami-raised ESPN star Dan Levitard. We'll hear from Hall of Fame quarterbacks Bob Greasy and Dan Marino as well. And we will hear from Shula himself as he speaks of his own career and legacy in one of the last major interviews he ever gave. With great respect for the legend we lost, we bring you the father of the glory days, a tribute to Don Shula. We want to begin with the great fullback from the championship days, Larry Zonka. You could make an argument, uh, a pretty good one, that uh, no one did more to win those back-to-back -back Super Bowls than number 39, one of the toughest guys to ever play for the Dolphins. Larry became one of the closest friends with Shula after his playing days. And it's very mo moving to hear him get emotional during this interview. Here's Larry Zonka. I wonder um, how you found out that your coach and friend of more than 50 years had passed and, uh, and, and how it hit you? Hard. Not an easy thing. Certainly not in any circumstance would it be an early th easy thing, but uh, it was totally unexpected for me. I had been with Coach about a month or seemingly a month ago. I guess it had been a couple months ago. Shula's such a dominant figure that when you talk about when was the last time you see him, you think it was three days ago because it's so vivid in your memory because that's the kind of person he was. That's his definition. He was a coach all the time. He always had the answer. He's always thinking ahead. He was always very dominant. So went down and went to his birthday party, his 90th birthday party. Coach seemed as uh, energetic and 
in command as ever. I, I was surprised to see him surprised. I believe that was the first time that I could ever legitimately say that I saw someone actually surprise him with something and it's his 90th birthday. He was truly surprised and it was kind of tickled me. It was, he was very tickled to see all the players that showed up uh, and celebrated his birthday. Then at the Super Bowl, the same thing, very dominant. Then suddenly to get up a couple days ago, uh, you know, after teasing him about coming to his 100th birthday down the road, and him laughing about it and just shaking his head, uh, I get a phone call and that quickly he's gone. And it's just when someone's that big in your life and represents himself so dominantly in your life, all of a sudden for him to be gone, uh, you know, two things happened. I missed him. And the second part was uh, it was like it's, losing a family member, you know. It is in a way. And, and it's weird that you have years to prepare for a day like exactly. that, you know, but yet whenever it happens, it, it's as if you're not prepared. You know, it's the weirdest thing, right? Well, if Shula would have uh, been less, con each time I saw him over the last 10 or 15 years, if he would have been a little less, but he was not. He retained his faculties. His physical presence was, was aging like we all are. But not that, not that rapidly. But his mind, he was so alert and so on top of things, loved, still loved to talk about football and get in an argument with you in 15 seconds. He, you know, there was something that wasn't – somebody wasn't doing something the way he thought it should be done. <laughs> and how intense he was with it. Anyone that knows him knows what I'm talking about. Right. Anyone that's watched him over the years and how he, how he goes after things. I think uh, one of the fondest things to remember is his, how intense he was but also his sense of humor. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time because he, even in the most demanding situation, game time, you know, second quarter, we're in the heat of the battle, we're hard at it, and he's raving on the sidelines and something silly happened. You know, a flag was thrown or something, I ran out of bounds and he grabbed me and said, that was a great hit. About that time, a flag hit me. And it, how, how quickly he would turn. <laughs> Go, What's wrong with you? And right. then, and then all of a sudden he'd realize that change in emotion and he'd kind of get a smile on his face and laugh. Uh, right. At the most uh, critical times sometimes, seemingly the most important, very critical times, he'd get a grin on his face and just kind of crack up. And he'd just catch you totally off guard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell the famous alligator story. And, and I think, uh, isn't that sort of a, an indication that uh, there was a sense of humor there? I mean, he could have been totally upset at what you guys did and, and perhaps you'll tell the story again if you wouldn't mind but uh, in the end he sort of had to smile about that right? I had gone out after one of the exhibition games with Manny Fernandez and Manny Fernandez was one of those kind of guys that there's a baby alligator on the shore and Manny said there's just he and I in the boat he said I'm gonna catch that gator I said sure you are <laughs> I went on fishing all of a sudden I hear a splash and Manny's swimming over you know he's walking over to the shore yeah, and he jumps in the bushes and it's like something in a cartoon, you know. There's things flying and he comes back, he's got the baby gator, puts it in the boat, I jump out of the boat. We, what are you gonna do? That was take it back to camp and we'll put it in the pond at the at the camp. On the way back, it's tearing up the trunk of my car, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not gonna put that in a pond. I said, let's put it in Shula's shower. <laughs> Because a few years, two years earlier, when he first came, we had put up new goalposts, and the packing material was some long, green, spongy stuff, and a piece of it was laying on the practice field when we went out to practice. And we're all running around to do the calisthenics. You know, she always led the calisthenics. 
and I didn't know. I just picked up that rubber. I was looking at it, the packing material that the new goalposts had come in on the practice field. As we're running along, I had it in my hand. And when he came up beside me to tell me something about what I was doing wrong or whatever, I, I, I flipped it at him just to be funny. And he took off like a rifle shot. <laughs> I thought, uh-huh. He's afraid of little creepy crawly things. I thought an alligator in the shower ought to really get his attention. <laughs> So we, we took a vote in the locker room, and uh, he won by one vote. We taped the, the nose of the gator shut, or he, he might have talked to an octave higher if he'd have stepped in the shower <laughs> without its nose tape. Anyway, we taped his nose and put it in the shower, and then uh, I guess he went in and saw it. And it kind of tickled him. He didn't know what to do with it. And he came out to figure out, to come holler at me, because he figured somehow I was connected with it. Right. Or Fernandez. But he couldn't find either of us, because we knew he was coming. But he ended up running up to Jim Kick, who knew nothing about what had happened. <laughs> and he started <laughs> raising the hell with Jim Kick over it. Larry, um, it, it's strange to, to think that um, Don had been retired for almost the exact same amount of time as he coached in Miami coached for 26 seasons. I think he'd been retired now for, for 25 or so. And yet, uh, 25 years later, uh, it's as if he's still such a presence in South Florida that his passing hits so hard. Why do you think that is? Again, because of his dominance. You try to say it with one word, his dominance. That's not really, that doesn't do it justice. His intensity, his dominance, his uh, personality. He was totally engulfed in what he was doing. And a few of us can achieve that. You know, I, I like doing an outdoor show in Alaska. I got really enthusiastic about it because it kind of fit what, you know, where I come from, what I do. Shoes was football. He just found his niche there and he was good at it. He loved it. He loved the people that worked in it. He liked the camaraderie of the team. Everything about that world suited him and he became so dominant that you just couldn't think about that world without thinking about him if you had been a player for him. Now, if you lived in Miami and started out in the early years with the Miami Dolphins when they were just the doormat of the league, I had to go through that for a couple of years, but the, the city went through it for three or four or five years before 1970 came along and we got shoes. And then he turned us around. Suddenly, the same people, you know, Coach Bum Phillips said he can take urine and beat Hizen, or he can take Hizen and beat urine. Right. Well, that, there's never been truer, more definitive words ever spoken about Shula's career than what Bum Phillips said there. Because he can take your team and beat, beat his team with it, or he can take his team and beat your team with it. Right. Well, that's a fact. That's what he was about. That, so he's so dominant. So now, all of a sudden, he's gone. It, it, as he got older... He was much easier, more fun to be around once we weren't pursuing a championship. <laughs> and each time I came down, I enjoyed it more. And pretty soon, it wasn't going back to Miami to celebrate the 72 season. That's what everybody was saying. We were going back to Miami to be with Coach. And he hosted the thing and was just as dominant, you know. He'd, uh, you know, if he came in, Mercury Morris came walking in after everybody else was there and she looked at his watch. <laughs> like he's going to find him 21 years after the fact for, for uh, Mercury wow. coming in late. So it, it just never ended. You know, it just each year you got to look to that and you'd step through a time, time warp and you'd be back with him, even though we're all getting older and grayer. It was still what we accomplished, certainly in 1972, still sets a little higher on the wall. So that kind of kept us young as well. I wonder, um, Larry, when, when you saw Don at that uh, surprise 90th party 
was there a wistfulness to that night? I wonder how he um, comprehended his latter years. Was there a sense of mortality? I can't believe I'm 90. I mean, I, I, I just I, wonder. I broached that subject with him. I, I went into the office. He had a picture that he wanted me to sign for somebody or something. And I went into his, his office and he, he had a very nice office. I had a lot of artifacts, things in there, trophies, a Super Bowl trophy, the perfect season, everything. I went in there with him and uh, we, we went into his office and I said, coach, you're 90. And he, he's laughing, shaking his head. I said, you know, I'm going to come back and see you when you're 100, you know, because I can't believe – because there's been no change. I mean, he's still just the same guy he was when, when I met him in his, his late 30s, early 40s. You know, some 40 years or 45 years later, he's still like he's 45 years old, is it, mind-wise. And uh, he laughed and just shook his head and said, well, whatever it is, is. You know, he got he – got, he, I got the feeling – when I said, I'm looking forward to your hundreds, that he didn't think that he was going to live to be a hundred. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw a crack or a chip in the, in the armor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think he thought about that a minute and then looked and said, well, we'll take them one at a time. Right. Just like the games, take them yeah, one at a that's time. That's why that's the first, one of the first things I thought of the other day when I got the phone call, I was out doing something in the woods and, got the phone call from my wife that he had passed. And I just thought that's, you know, the last time I saw him, we talked about that. And I was kidding him about a hundred because he's so present and so unchanged that I figured he, he had a hundred all sewed up, but yeah, wasn't in the cards. Talk about the man a little bit in terms of integrity. Um, you once told me that story about how through happenstance, he could have looked at another team's, playbook that was left in a locker room or something of that nature. You told me that when we last spoke. We were using another team's locker room because of construction at the stadium we were visiting. I had played with this guy years before, so I had his locker. I was going to write him a note, leave a dead fish in his helmet or something, and kid him, because <laughs> the next day we were going to bump heads, you know, on the field. Well, I'm looking around for something to write on. I find the defensive report. I find what they're going to call in the chess game that's going to ensue the next day. This is the Oakland Raiders. This is 1973. We'd gone undefeated in 72. So far, we hadn't lost a game in 72. I'm looking at that. That's, that's a hell of an asset. So I went to give it to Monty Clark, and Monty Clark took it to Coach Shula. Coach Shula said, throw it away. I don't want to look at it. I figured somebody's stupid enough to leave that laying around. I need to take a look at it. You know? <laughs> but that's Shula. You know, his line, line of integrity. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn a camera on somebody or I wouldn't, you know, listen on their phone call or do something. But on the other hand, if something fell right in your lap, that's hard to, you know, that's a, that's a pretty kind of undefined line there, but not for him. That's how definite and how defined his lines were. He told me one time in his office that in his early childhood, he really thought he was going to be a priest. He was going to grow up to be a Catholic priest. You know, he aspired for that for a while when he was a young man. And I thought, well, there it is. That's where that, you know, he has that tremendous drive. But then he also has that tremendous belief. He believed in good and evil, God and the devil. He believed in them. He also believed in the truth. And that coincides with the rules. Now, Shula was also a guy that when he didn't like a rule, he got to be head of the rules committee or suggested party for the rules committee. And he changed the damn thing. You get in there and change the rule. But while it was a rule, 
that if he couldn't beat you by the rules, then he couldn't beat you. And what he said to Monty Clark when Monty Clark offered him the information was, if we can't beat him straight up without doing that, then we shouldn't beat him. And damned if we didn't beat him. It was the first game we lost. You know, So he wasn't a guy that just said it. He lived by it. And that yeah. was a test. That story for me uh, says as much about Don Shula as the 347 wins because it really gets to the core of, of who he was. Um, yes. He did a lot for everybody. He did a lot for all of us. He was a great man. I'm going to miss him a great deal. But let me tell you something. I don't know where old football players and old football coaches go. But wherever that is, a lightning bolt just hit town. <laughs> you know and I know, wherever that is, and Lombardi's there probably running things, it's about to change, pal. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Larry, on that note, um, again, really appreciate your time. Absolutely, anytime, Greg. Right. See you later. Be, be well. You too. Thanks to Larry Zonka. Zonk to so many Dolphin fans. Uh, that, that was great. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, we got to mention the, the infamous alligator story, which is always funny to me. And uh, actually, uh, Larry Little, the Hall of Fame guard who we're about to talk to, he has his own take on the alligator story and also mentions uh, something that, that made me laugh out loud that I had never heard said before. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you're going to want to listen to this. Here's, um, here's the great guard, Larry Little. Larry, um, it occurred to me that um, Shula had been retired from coaching just about the same amount of time that he coached the Dolphins, tw 25, 26 years. And, um, and yet after all that time, his passing still resonates with so many fans, particularly older fans, I guess. Um, why do you think it is that, that he stayed in the public conscience uh, so long after he retired? Uh, first, I think it by us going undefeated, that's something that had never been duplicated after 46 years. So I think that was the main thing, you know, and plus all the restaurants he had all over the place. And I was right. his name bearing it, a, a, a expressway bearing his name. And, you know, just get a name that you couldn't forget. Right. A name, that last name, sure. For the younger generation coming up that never saw us play or even saw him coach, but that name Shula just resonated with them. Larry, what do you think you'll remember most about Shula? Uh, what is his legacy to you personally? It was fun playing for him. I enjoyed, really enjoyed playing for him. A lot of people thought he was one of these hardcore guys all the time, but he wasn't. Yeah, he, he liked some humor too. And, uh, and after, afterwards, he even got softer. After he retired from coaching, he even got softer, you know, and liked to have fun. I know uh, the last few times I've seen him, uh, he would laugh at it. Uh, I would give him the finger, <laughs> he, you know, <laughs> the middle finger. And he enjoyed it. He'd give it right back to me at times. <laughs> you know, so, you know he, he enjoyed a good time, in, even in his later years. He surely did. You were part of that um, surprise 90th birthday party thrown for him in January, which I guess was for a lot of his former players, that was probably the last time a lot of you got to see him alive. And I wonder what you remember most about that night, because it, it, it seems like it had to have been a really emotional night. I remember that he was really surprised. He had no idea all of us were going to be there that night. And when they opened the door for him to come out on the uh, patio, right there, it was right there on the ocean. 
he was, he was, I mean, he was really shocked, and but he really enjoyed it. And while we were sitting around, the guy was cooking food up for him. He was enjoying that, and and I kept ribbing him about different things that night also. So I'm, I'm thinking that one of the better nights he had before he uh, he left us. Larry, you mentioned earlier that um, Shula had a a pretty sharp sense of humor, sort of a a, a dry wit, I guess. Um, what's the funniest Shula story you have? You know, back in the day, we had the 16 millimeter film projectors. And I don't know who did it, but uh, we were getting ready to watch film and someone put a porno film in there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And when he cut the film on <laughs> and it came up, he said, what the hell? And everybody burst out laughing, so did he. Though he I think he enjoyed it more than we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He was, Shula was a pretty religious guy, a, a real Catholic. I can only imagine uh, how taken aback he must have been. I mean, it shocked him, and it shocked all of us, because I don't know who did it to this day. Really? Someone said, they believe, someone said Kucherberg did it. I wasn't, I'm not sure, but... Uh, he got a big laugh out of it. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Uh, that might even be better than uh, the alligator in the shower story that uh, Zonka likes to tell. I don't know. That was a good one, too. <laughs> but the worst part, the funniest part about that, I don't think uh, they've said this, was Ansbarger went to get in the shower first. <laughs> and he saw the alligator. But he didn't tell Shoe that the alligator was in there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ansbarger played along. <laughs> oh man thank you Larry Little uh, I have to admit I did not expect a lot of laughs going into that interview on such an occasion as this but um, I loved uh, a couple of those stories next we want to get to Dave Shula uh, Don's eldest son and I want to apologize out front but the quality of this sound may not be uh, quite up to standards I blame myself um, I was totally involved by myself in getting Dave Shula and recording him Christopher was not involved. Uh, we didn't do it on Zoom. We did it. We did it over the phone. And um, and if it sounds lousy, uh, it's not on Dave. It's on me. Uh, but I will say, uh, we were happy to talk to him. We actually spoke to him. He was on the road, traveling to the private family-only service that was held for Don uh, on Friday. It was held um, in a in a large Catholic church that accommodated uh, the entire extended family social distancing and, and meeting all of those uh, standards. So Dave was very generous to, uh, to speak with us and provide some very intimate uh, details about, um, about the very end for his dad. And uh, we're happy to have him. Here's Dave Shula. I wanted to, I, I know I expressed condolences in, in the text I sent you, but I, I do want to tell you more directly uh, how sorry I am for the family's loss. It's, uh, you know, even though it's a, you know, it's I, I my own dad passed away at 88, and I know that even though you you sort of have years to prepare for the day, it uh, it still hits kind of hard. Yeah, it's it, you know it's not like we were surprised, but but it, yes, you went through. It's the finality is tough, you know. I wonder, Rom, um, how's how are you doing? How's the family doing? You know, everybody's fine, thank you. And, it's hard, you know, it comes in waves, you know, I'm sure there'll be a question you ask me and it'll get me going and, and that's been that way for everybody and, you know, Marianne is, uh, it's really hard on her, uh, 
she's, you know, keeping on. And um, was he in good health? I know uh, in his latter years, uh, you know, he was confined to the scooter. He had issues uh, walking on his own. But otherwise, uh, was he in pretty good health? Or He, um, probably five or six years ago, uh, ended up with a pacemaker. And that really stabilized him because we probably would have lost him then. Um, but since then, because of all the great care he's, he's got. Uh, he's been okay. It kind of stabilized him, but he hasn't been able to walk in seven or eight years. And, and you know, just get, it got to the point where just getting him, you know, out of the bed into a wheelchair or, you know, or to the restroom or to, you know, in a, into a shower just got to be, you know, what, too much. And uh, so as time went on and, and more recently, um, he uh, they were lifting him and, and, uh, and he tweaked his back a little bit and, and he complained about it and he never complained about anything, right. <laughs> you know, as far as pain. And, and so you knew that he was hurting and then that basically eliminated any kind of movement whatsoever. And, uh, so, you know, he had, uh, been susceptible to like bronchitis, you know, how you, when people get sick, sometimes some people get ear infections, some people get sinus, you know, sinus infections, say, his would go into his lungs, and uh, and it, and the fact he wasn't moving at all, you know, his lungs weren't working very hard. So, you know, gradually it uh, <clears throat> just started a, a, a downward spiral. That, unfortunately, Monday morning he woke up and was you know labored and breathing. I had talked to him Sunday morning, and I could tell that he was really he really couldn't talk. Uh, he was struggling to he was breathing, but he was he was on oxygen, and so I. You know, I called my brother and called one of my sisters just to give them a heads up, and and then you know Monday morning he woke up, and and then by nine o'clock or after nine, he you know his his heart just stopped. Is um unfortunately he went quickly and peacefully. So sure, yeah, it's it's so strange, Dave, because you know your father happened to be so famous and so accomplished in in what he did, but you know at the end. It's just your dad, you know, it's, it's, it's not, the, right. it's, I mean, I can, I think I can relate, you know, just the idea that um, to everybody else, he's this mythic football god, but to you, he's just the, the guy who raised you, you know, the guy you've known your whole life, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, don't, I didn't know him any other way, you know. Uh, of course, you know, getting into the same profession and always like loving being around, you know, I saw what he meant to everyone else and, and we as a family have always known that you know there was there are a lot of other people you know uh, that that were very that thought of him very you know like part of their family too right uh, and we always appreciated that and appreciate it now you know the outpouring of, of well wishes and sorrow and, and people it's funny people they'll call they'll text you know they'll email you know, I'm sure I'll start getting letters. And people, it's like cathartic to the to the people that are reaching out to us. Is the first thing they do is tell us about their relationship with him. And you know, they and then we started uh, uh, on the Shula's Steakhouse website, and then I think the Dolphins put up a, uh, uh, a, a gave a, a forum to where people could express. You know that they could post their picture when they were a little kid at a dolphin game, sitting, you know, with their dad or their 
you know, their family and, and our picture with, you know, with dad. And, and uh, it's really, it's really uh, touching. Yeah. You know, how many lives he influenced and how people just want to share their, their grief and sorrow. Yeah, and I can tell you one of those lies was mine. Uh, when when your dad uh, first came to Miami, uh, I was 15 years old. Uh, my dad and I were the biggest Dolphin fans ever, and uh, you know we were cheering in our living room that Christmas night in '71 when the first playoff game was won. So uh, a lot of my childhood memories revolve around <clears throat> you know everything yeah. your dad meant. So um, that's awesome. You know, uh, Dave, it, it's remarkable to me that uh, your dad had been retired out of coaching for almost as long as he coached the Dolphins, uh, 25 years out of coaching. And yet when the day comes and we lose him, uh, it does have such an impact in South Florida. And I wonder, uh, what does that say about your dad and his legacy? Do you think that 25 years out of coaching, uh, his name is still uh, so much at the forefront down here? It speaks to the fact that he was so much more than winning as coach, right? You know, it was the way he lived his life, uh, the examples that he set for his family, for, you know, our community, uh, you know, and it goes without saying, you know, what he, the example he set for his teams. And, you know, he always, he saw the bigger picture in how, as a coach, you could influence players' lives. You could influence your staff. You could influence your fans and community. And he and he always, you know, had that as his backdrop, his frame of reference into you know all the decisions he made and, and how he acted and conducted himself. Uh, he got it early on, you know, that that football is a wonderful game. It's a great teacher. You know, for uh, lessons for life that can be applied in every area, and then he also understood that at the end of the day, it was entertainment, and it was a way for people to get out and enjoy and forget whatever might be bothering them, and spend time and you know become a part of a team and and cheer for them, and and so you know, my wife and I always talk about you know how many dozens or hundreds of times that we would be out with him. And then me growing up is the same way. Uh, you'd be out in public, and I don't. I can honestly say I don't ever, never saw him get short or cross with any fan that you know happened to stick their, you know, pen and and uh, napkin, right. you know, in, in between his fork <clears throat> and his mouth, you know, <laughs> literally yeah. at times, you know, sitting out to eat or whatever. Uh, and he just always was very patient. Now. You and I know the, you know the the the, the side that had no patience. Yes. You know, yeah. And how he would, you know, if you want to know, I'm sure you know, and uh, you you witnessed in different press conferences, you know, people that were late or people that he, he was he was sure, you know, it was obvious they weren't prepared in the questions they were asking. And yes, I'm sure he had no tolerance for that. But that was part of the business, you know. That was not the fans, you know. And he, right. He always got that early on. Dave, um, setting aside football entirely, because every everyone knows your dad's record is, is one for the history books uh, when it comes to winning and the perfect season. Uh, talk to me about your your father's legacy as, as a man, just as the dad you knew 
off the field um, growing up? I look back now, and I, you know, that, that Musley and I have raised three sons, and now we have three grandsons. And I look back at how he treated me and and, and our family. And he, he, he was he always he wanted us around as much as we could be. You know, I started working at training camp when I was you know 11 years old when we moved down here, and then I before that in Baltimore, he would bring me the highlights of my summer work going out spending a couple nights, you know, with him out at, at the Colts training camp. He just loved having us around and, uh, you know, did as much with uh, our sisters as he could, uh, you know, being a, a football coach, you know. Uh, but, uh, and Mike, you know, would have, I would, would say the same thing. And, and that was very special. And, um, and then he, you, you knew that, you know, he was of the generation that was not, you know, a big, you know, tell you how much, tell you that he loved you every time he left or or uh showed you know that much emotion but we but through our mom you know we always knew that he cared right. and, and that he wanted to know you know uh, was a very much a part of our lives through her you know even though physically he wasn't around a lot but, sure. but we knew that he cared and you know i've since uh, harvey green uh, and Chip Amius were telling me about, you know, how uh, when Mike and I were playing that, you know, if, if he, you know, he knew, you know, that we were playing and, then, and that their jobs were to get him to score. You know? <laughs> right. And, uh, and make sure that, you know, he was uh, up on, you know, what, what was happening and uh, what would help them if, if they didn't know it, you know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, and so those, you know, you knew that he always cared and, and uh and that's, you know, such a great message for, you know, young fathers out there today. Just be there, you know, be involved, be engaged. Yes. Uh, it, yes, indeed. Um, Dave, your dad <clears throat> led such a, a public life. Uh, so many books and stories written about him over the years. Is there anything not known about your dad that that you can share? Any, anything that you've you've never seen written or heard said? Uh, about your dad that uh, that you know? You know, Larry Little told me the story of, of when when Dad first came down here in 1970. My it was Miami, if you, as you probably remember, yeah. you know, and it was still, you know, it wasn't too many years removed from segregation and black and white bathrooms and black and white beaches and yep. and uh, and you know he lived that growing up um, down here. And he said that it, it made a huge impression on him and our team, and I think resonated into our into the community. The fact that he when he came through off the rooming list, he did it by position. It never it never even occurred to him to do it any other way, you know. And and then the message, you know, was we're to, this is a team. I don't care, you know, what color your skin, you know, where you're from, you know. Uh, so that was something that he really never talked about. And I'm not sure how much has been written about. Uh, and then um, the other story, uh, I don't know how much this has been out in the public, was with, you know, remember uh, Marv Fleming? Sure. So Marv, you know, walks into his office and and he's wearing an earring. And, you know, since, you know, at that time, you know, there was not, no nobody ever talked about, you know, the gay community or, or all, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Right. And, 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 and Marv has since come out as, as being part of that. But anyways, and I'm, you know, so I think he was, he came into dad's office and he had the one earring on and he, he, he says, so coach, what do you think of my earring? <laughs> and, 
and death. Do you know the story? <laughs> I think I've, or I think I see the punchline yeah, coming. Dad's immediate response was, yeah, I was wondering where your other earring is. <laughs> That's perfect. And, but what that meant, you know, was that he knew the message that Marv was trying to, to get across to him. Okay, fine. You know? Right. And, and uh, that was another part of his, you know, subtle, I, I use the term as subtle genius, you know, that he had. I spoke to Zonka at some length uh, about your dad, and, uh, you know, it hit him hard. It, you know, Larry, he talks about the integrity. You know, he just had such yeah. admiration for your dad, uh, just everything yeah. he stood for. And he told me the story about how, you know, your dad turned down the chance to look at somebody else's playbook that had accidentally been left behind in a locker yeah, room. I was there. I was in, you know, John Robinson were playing the Rams, and uh, a hotel employee saw, you know, their game plan and thought he was being a great Dolphin fan by racing it over into our locker room and he actually handed it to me <laughs> and I, you know, I, I gave it to my dad. I said, what do you want to do with this? And he, he, he ripped it up. <laughs> that's crazy. And, you know, that that's how we, you know, he, he didn't believe that that was, you know, that's not how you, how you play the game. Dave, um, I'll let you go. I really appreciate you um, being generous with your time this week of, of all weeks. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time and, and the tributes that you all have shared. And looking, I haven't had a chance really to see anything, but I'm uh, looking forward to being able to look back. And, and thank you. Thanks for your professionalism and caring. And, and uh, I look forward to reading. My, and if you have any questions, any follow-up, you know, you got my number. Dave, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, great. Take all right, care. bye-bye. Okay, thanks again to Dave Shula. The audio I recorded was lousy. <laughs> that's that's on me, not him. Hey. The Miami Dolphins were good to um, to make a lot of former players of Shula's available upon his passing, and we're going to speak to a couple of them right now, beginning with uh, the most iconic, uh, biggest superstar to ever perform for the Dolphins, Hall of Fame quarterback, Dan Marino. First of all, I just want to, you know, say my prayers and, and condolences go out to Marianne, Shula family, Michael David, just... Uh, really good people and it's a it's a sad day but a lot of great memories uh beautiful man great person I had nothing but respect for coach Shula and you know how he was as a person you know you you think about you know I I've talked about it before I mean he helped me as a player but he also helped me how to develop as a human being coming to Miami I was 21 years old and just to watch him and how he handled the press how he handled his business, everything he did as a, as a person in the community, all those things, you know, you admired as a young guy and he taught me all that. So I think I always had that relationship uh, with him and he always was there to give me advice to take care of me when, you know, I needed it. And after, you know, he retired, he was always, he became a really good friend and someone that I was enjoyed being around. And now here's, Shula's first Dolphins Hall of Fame quarterback, Bob Greasy. We spent a lot of time together at lunch, and his favorite place to have lunch was Gulfstream Park. And um, and some of the other buddies that would go, Hank Goldberg, before he moved out to um, Las Vegas, was our handicapper. Shula would be sitting at the end of the table like he doesn't know horses from the hole in the ground. So he'd look to Hank and he'd say, Hank, what do you like in the second race? And Hank would say, well, I studied this uh, 
form last night, and I got up again this morning, and I looked at it for another 25 minutes. I looked at here, and I like the number 713. And Shula looked down at the bottom of his program, and he would look at Hank as, hell, Hank, that's the chalk. I don't want any chalk. Chalk, 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 chalk. But we had a great time having lunch at Gulfstream Park. He played in the league. He was a defensive back, and every time we talk about this, and uh, and I'm sure he's around somewhere wanting me to tell you, and he had 21 interceptions as a defensive back. And all, everybody knew that, that would go with him to lunch. Shula was, you know, born up in, in, in a small town in Ohio. Um, you know, I, we go back and forth. I, I, I gig him and he gigs me. But uh, I, I tell him he, the reason he, cause he, he had to play cornerback is because he was not smart enough to play offense. And the reason he got all those interceptions is that because they, he was calling the defensive signals and he'd always call the defense to roll his way so he was free out there to kind of pick off the passes. But uh, he'd just look at me and smile and he might even raise his three fingers and he might say occasionally, read between the lines, Greasy. That was great hearing from players the magnitude of Dan Marino and Bob Greasy talking about Don Shula. Uh, right now, we're going to turn to a guy that you may not have ever heard of, but he's got some of the great uh, Shula stories to share. He's Chip Namias, who is the Dolphins Public Relations Director working so closely with Shula for much of the 1980s, including when Marino was first drafted. Uh, Let's hear what he has to say. Share the story with us, the time Don met Don Johnson from Miami Vice. So it was at the height of the Miami Vice craze when the city was electric with, the show was filming down here, it was the number one show on television. And uh, our equipment manager, Bobby Monica, had become uh, friendly with Don Johnson and weasel his way onto a cameo on an episode of the show. And uh, one time before a Monday night game, Bobby came up to me and said, I'm going to have Don Johnson at the game tonight. Is there any way of introducing him to Coach Shula after the game? And I said, if we win the game, yes. If we lose the game, no chance. But we won the game, and after the game, we're in the locker room, and it's very crowded, and Coach is doing his post-game media availability, and I see Bobby – across the locker room with Don Johnson signaling me. So I said, Coach, is somebody I want to introduce you to. And we walk across the locker room, dodging players, and we get over there, and I said, Coach, this is Don Johnson from Miami Vice. And Coach starts to shake his hand, and uh, Coach goes, you guys do a hell of a job, a hell of a job. And he patted Don Johnson on the back, and Coach Shula thought he was a real Miami Vice police officer. But at this point, Don Johnson doesn't realize that Coach doesn't know who he is. So he's shaking his hand, and he says, Coach, I'd like to invite you to come down and watch us shoot sometime. And Coach Shula goes, oh, no, that's too dangerous for me. Just completely oblivious. He did not know who he was. That's great. I love that story. Um, there's also a, a great story, I think, involving uh, Cheech and Chong, of all people. Sure. When Cheech and Chong at the time were probably the hottest comedy team in the country selling out arenas. And uh, they were friendly with Bob Baumhauer, who was one of the star players on the Dolphins. And one time uh, we were going out to practice at Old Biscayne College and Bob came up before practice and told me he'd gotten permission from the personnel director for them to watch practice. But he had to go into a meeting when practice was over 
And could I make sure that uh, they met Coach Shul? I said, sure. So uh, I was standing with him at practice, and at the end of practice, I said, you guys stand over here by this fence. Coach Shul is going to walk by here on his way back to his office, and we'll stop and introduce you. And so they said, fine. They were waiting for him. And I was in the middle of the field as Coach Shul finished talking to the sports writers that day, and we start to walk back. And we're about 25 yards away from Cheech and Chong. And I tell Coach, I said, you see those two guys standing over there? Uh, they're friends of Baumhauer's. I'm going to introduce you to them. They're Cheech and Chong. They're a world-famous comedy team. And he stops dead in his tracks and looks at me very confused. And he goes, you mean like Burns and Allen? <laughs> I said, no, not quite like Burns and Allen. <laughs> just- yeah, I don't think Burns and Allen smoked much dope, did they? <laughs> Chip, um, I don't think I've ever asked you how it was to to work for Shula that closely as his public relations guy. It It had to have been intimidating is that the word like what was he to work with personally it was quite an eye-opener he was very tough and demanding and intimidating and uh, I was young and didn't really know what I was doing and uh, I had to grow up fast and he was a tremendous mentor for me and really toughened me up and taught me so much not only about my job but about a lot of life lessons but uh, you had to earn his respect if you didn't you wouldn't you weren't going to be around very long Dave Barry calls and he wants to calls me. He wants to do an interview with Shula to do a piece on Shula, you know, away from football. And I said, Dave, yeah, I, I don't, he's not going to be into that. And you know, <laughs> and he said, Well, I, you know, I promise I won't make him look bad. I'm not going to make fun of them. So I started thinking about. It. I thought it'd be a great piece if you know, if give the fans a glimpse of Shula off the field. Blah blah blah. So I asked him to do it. He says, Who's Dave Barry? No, blah blah. So I keep working on him. Finally, agreed with two uh, provisions. It had to be limited to 15 minutes and I had to be in his office uh, and time and time the 15 minutes. And if it went off the rails, cut it off sooner. And it was, it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. Dave's asking him all these questions about things outside of football. And sure wasn't being uncooperative. He just, he just doesn't know these things outside of football. And at one point Dave goes, coach, I hear you like music. Who are some of the people that you like to listen to? And he like, couldn't come up with anything. He shouts out to his secretary. He goes, "Hey, Ann, who's that? Uh, who's that group I like?" And Ann yells out with an accent, "The Carpenters, Coach." My <laughs> God, I, I can almost hear him shouting to his uh, secretary, "Who's that? It's, uh, who's that group I like?" <laughs> Thanks to Chip. Uh, <laughs> I can't not laugh at that Miami Vice story. I've heard it before. It's uh, it's just one of my favorites. Knowing Shula and picturing uh, his reaction and visualizing it is just gold. Um, right now, we want to bring in um, our old friend Dan Lebetard from ESPN to talk about Shula. And um, uncharacteristically for Dan and I, we actually had a very serious conversation until the very end when I shouldn't have been surprised uh, he found a way to make fun of me. Let's hear how that rolls out. This is weird for Dan and I because normally when we um, talk to each other, either on the air or in actual real life, it's uh, we're, we're laughing or making fun of each other or just clowning around in some fashion. And here um, we're, we're talking about a guy who passed away who meant a lot to both of us and, and who meant a lot to the community where we work and live. Dan, it, it hit me a little harder than I thought it would. And for me, in a way, it, I think Dolphin fans think of Shula passing the way a, 
maybe a child regards an aging parent where, you know, you have years to, to get used to it and prepare for it and know the day is coming. But then when it comes, it, you, you find out that you really weren't prepared and it hits hard. I wonder um, how it affected you when you heard the news. Well, uh, I'm always making fun of you for being selfish and self-involved, but I feel like when mortality visits like this as a reminder of something that we don't spend a lot of time necessarily thinking about, I think it makes us sort of look at and be introspective about our own mortality, whatever that is. I'm not saying that's the chief thing here, but when a piece of your childhood dies this way, because Don Shula represents a different time, uh, represents a different time in our careers uh, when we were covering sports differently, thinking of sports differently. Miami was different. America was different. And he was an instrumental part of South Florida sports before there were any South Florida sports to speak of. And you and me both came up of a certain age where Don Shula was the only sports thing that we had. We were, you know, frontons and horse racing, and that's it. We were, we were a minor league town. We were a place that the major league teams like the Orioles and the Yankees visited only for spring training and then left. Like, he was the thing that made us Miami, represented Miami to the rest of the United States at a time when you and I were coming up in the business, at a time when you and I were coming up as sports fans. So you're talking about a mentor of sorts, really. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I would liken his passing to me personally, really, um, to that of Edwin Pope, our great mentor at the Miami Herald and a, and a real icon in journalism. You know, they were from the same generation and um, there was just, you know, I hate the phrase end of an era because it's beaten into death by overuse and misuse. But when Edwin passed away and then when Shula passed away, it just really did feel like the end of an era, you know, just uh, something coming to a, a definite close. And um, that was a strange feeling to me because I just didn't know how it would affect me. But then I, you know, I reeled back to my childhood and Shula and those early Dolphins meant so much uh, in my life. You know, I was a real fan as a, as a kid, as a young teenager. And my dad and I, our relationship bonded together because of Don Shula and, and those glory days Dolphins. And um, I guess, do you have to be middle-aged or older to, to fully appreciate Shula? Or do you think younger fans can, can realize the, the magnitude of losing Shula? No. I, uh, I think that the younger demo does not care. It's a dinosaur. It's an artifact from another time. Uh, I saw that this week on the radio show where it was something that uh, impacted me more than it impacted even your son or the surroundings. Your son doesn't have a real appreciation for who Don Shula was, and he grew up in your house with you admiring him. Uh, but that link that you're talking about, not an irrelevant one, my father and I, that's where I learned to love sports, through the Dolphins of that era. Uh, my father is Cuban, football obviously, not a thing in Cuba. He comes over to Miami to build a life, and in that life, in a very Latin section of Miami where my grandmother and my grandfather, uh, on my father's side and my mother's side, in two different homes, would live in government housing trying to create a life for themselves 
here in Miami, that was the time that me and my father linked. It's the first time that I found a common bond. The father that's on with me on television, that bond was created by Don Shula. I don't know what it does. Uh, I don't know what the link would be for Christopher, but there will be something, whether it's those fantasy football galas you do, or there will be something that will impact him that way, where the, where the link isn't just personal, it's intimate because it reminds you of where you connected with your father uh, in a place where you might not have had a lot of other commonalities. I don't have a lot of other commonalities with my father, but that was one. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, you know, my dad was a blue collar guy, a carpenter, and uh, that's what we had was the Dolphins. You know, we didn't have a lot in common, my dad and I, but but we had Shula and the Dolphins. And you know, I was speaking with Christopher about that. He was eight years old uh, when Shula was coaching his final season. And he doesn't have any memory of Shula, but he, he put Shula in the context of Bill Belichick, who he does know. And, and he's very impressed to think that as great as Bill Belichick is, he's still, you know, three or four seasons of winning behind Shula. And, and that was his prism, you know, the idea that, wow, Belichick is Belichick is my great coach, but to think that Shula um, was even greater in terms of total wins is pretty amazing to him. But that's an important perspective, isn't it? Because you know it's good to remember that the Dolphins existed before Dan Marino and before ESPN Sports Center and and all that stuff. And and even if it's in yellowed uh, newspaper clippings, uh, Shula created the glory days. You know, it's just. It's weird to think of how long ago they are. The fact that he was a pillar of integrity, that his reputation never took a hit, that the most scandalous thing that Don Shula ever did was remarry after he was widowed. Like, right. uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's that I remember how people reacted to that. Shula can't get remarried. He was always talking about Dorothy and family and football and faith. And he's, right. he's not allowed to have any sort of feelings uh, beyond uh, Dorothy. Like, is that the greatest? Is that the greatest? Con- Let's think about this for a second. What's the greatest controversy Don Shula ever had where you could point to and say, man, that was mishandled, that's a bad public moment, that lacks grace. That's one of the reasons he hated Jimmy Johnson so much, because he would not have behaved in a way that felt like he was politicking for someone else's job while they still had a job. That, uh, it's one of, the, uh, one of the reasons that he didn't like the way Saban left the Dolphins. It's one of the reasons he um, always defended excuse me, his son, Mike Shula, against anything that uh, came his way that seemed like fair criticism to us, but he behaved like a prickly father uh, whenever it is that anyone was criticizing uh, any of his kid. Dan, when, when you were coming up in, in journalism um, and, and still fairly new at the Herald, Dan, um, Don's career was sort of ebbing. Did you get a chance to, to know him very well and, and be in his company much? Uh, well, what's funny about this, I told this story probably not at the most appropriate time, given that we had just learned of his passing, but uh, there's only one time I've ever seen my father uh, physically dance for joy, and he did so in the streets, and it was when Shula was fired, oh, and wow. here's the here's the backstory of that. I shouldn't say fired, I guess, when they transitioned away from Shula. 
I wrote a column at the end of Shula's career after they lost a playoff game in San Diego where they had a lead in the first half and fell apart in the second half that touted, hey, here is Jimmy Johnson nearby. This kind of coach is never available. When you need to segue from one coach to another, here's the perfect person to replace a Don Shula, willing and available. And Don Shula sent word uh, after I wrote that column to come see him. And so I went to his office, and you remember what that office was like, right? His chair a little bit bigger, his desk a little bit bigger than everyone else's, his right. chair bigger. Like you'd sit in a seat and you'd be looking up, physically looking up at him. And so I come in and I extend my hand across the table to shake his hand, and he just stares at it. He, he stares at my hand. And my father never forgave him for that because I said to him, I asked, I'm like, Don, really? You, you brought me in here just so you could do that to me? And oh. then he starts ripping me about writing that column. And my, my father never forgave him for that. But later on in life, as he softened, as these guys often do when they get away from football and the stress and the pressures, uh, we repaired all of that. He was an exceed, uh, exceedingly kind and, and graceful uh, man. Those, those kinds of moments, well, you know, you have them. You have the times when, when Shula tried to bully you or when Shula, you, it'll distort a man being what he was across several decades in terms of power and ego and fame. It'll distort a man. And sometimes you will get some small behavior in private moments that they believe they're entitled to because he found what I wrote to be disrespectful. He found the idea, right? I'm sitting here telling you it unemotionally, like what I'm, what I wrote was logical, but right. you can imagine where he would see it as a great disrespect for everything that he had built in Miami. Well, the, the way he left the Dolphins was so hurtful to him. Uh, you know, that, that 20 years later in, in one of the last major interviews he did, we sat down with him in his house and, and this is 20 years after the fact, and, and he's referring to Jimmy Johnson as Jimmy who, you know, he was just extremely hurt by the way his Dolphins career ended. And, and I felt bad that it did end that way. It just seemed like a career that, that might have ended on his terms a lot more than it did. Um, do we need to say anything else about uh, Shula? I'm trying to think of what else we didn't cover. I think you should just end it with you petering out that way. I think that you should just end it right there. Uh, you just leave it like that, and we will be done. There was not enough laughter in this. We were very solemn, very serious. No one's going to listen to this because all of your listeners are under 40 years old, and they don't want to hear a bunch of old men pining for a time, a black and white time when an artifact from an ancient time uh, ruled the Miami landscape. Like this is, but at least you're coming in a week after everyone else with it. At least you're not, you're not getting buried by the onslaught exactly. of the news that there wasn't on the day that Colin Cowherd totally ignored the story. <laughs> but one week later, Greg Cody is there for your needs. Right. I think you should end it just like that with you petering out on questions. You, you start. <laughs> 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 You started emotionally, you started, you tried to be serious journalist guy, and then at the end, after six minutes, you ran out of things to say. Or <laughs> wow, I'm crying. Um, hey, thanks, Dan, for doing this. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. Thanks to Larry Little and Zonka. Thanks to Dave Shula. Thanks to everyone who joined our podcast. This was a different kind of podcast for us. You know, we're going to get back to the fun and the insanity maybe next week, but uh, we felt 
very dedicated to doing a serious, respectful treatment of, of Don Shula's great legacy. And, and right now, I think it's fitting that the last words on this podcast are going to be from Don Shula himself. This is one of the last uh, major uh, interviews he did in his life. It was with me uh, at his home a few years ago. And we talked about a lot of stuff, including his thoughts on his own legacy. And so this was a pretty profound interview when I did it. And now that he's passed away, uh, hearing his voice is even more profound to me. So we're going to end this podcast with the last words being from Don Shula himself. You're the only coach in all of professional sports who's associated with the word perfection. Um, I like that. I like that association. <laughs> what that sounds that good. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean to you, just being having that singular distinction after all these years? Well, because of the fact that yeah, you're the only one and we were the only team, it just makes it that much more important. It gives you that much more pride and the accomplishment. And, uh, so uh, uh, until somebody you know, duplicates it, then uh, we're gonna just take a lot of pride. Not everything about any career is perfect. What, if any, regrets do you have? Oh, not a lot. <laughs> Overall, when I think about uh, the things that we did do, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with uh, you know, the things that happened in, in the career that uh, I had down here. What else do you want to be remembered for besides the two championships? Uh, winning the most games. I think that uh, there have been a lot of coaches that have coached over a period of time, a lot of great coaches, and to know now that uh, my record, uh, I won the most games, my teams have won the most games, and uh, that's something I'm very proud of.